Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Um, everybody excited to get into the message today? I am. Actually gonna get into um, a sermon topic that started, uh, the Holy Spirit laid it on our hearts on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we do a, an hour of worship and prayer every week. It's called Presence and Prayer. Um, and there's just no preaching, it's just, just worship and prayer, worship and prayer. But um, Jeff was leading worship on Wednesday and um, he started going a certain direction and I started feeling the same thing. And we started praying into and singing about and waiting on the holiness of God. Now, if, you've been, if you're over 40 and you were born again back in the 90s, holiness was every Sunday. I mean, and, and, and the holiness message wasn't like, hey, let's live holy. It was like, you better live holy. Bless God or you're going to hell. Have you ever, um, and this is the example that I gave on Wednesday night when we were talking about holiness. Um, you ever had chicken for dinner? Um, chicken thighs, chicken breast, whatever, and you trim off the fat and the gristly part, you throw it in the trash, you cook your meal, and then you're like, oh, we, we're going out of town. We're going to that, that wedding in Houston. We're going to grandma's house for the weekend. And you come back after two days in August when your house was kind of warm, and you open the front door, and you are met with like a green cloud of dead chicken you forgot to take out, right? We've all done it. We've all made that mistake. But nobody like, what you normally do is if you're the first one in the house, you're like, I'm gonna go back for the suitcases and let your spouse do it. <laughs> Sorry, babe. So, the first thing you do is remove the trash, tie it up, and try not to throw up on your way to the dumpster, right? Like, nobody, like, opens the lid of the trash can. They're like, mmm, dead chicken rotting. You know what? Let's just leave it. It could be like the new potpourri, and we'll invite friends over. Hey, you guys need to come smell this dead animal that's rotting in my kitchen. It's amazing. No, we not do that because we're not idiots. The moment we smell that gross, disgusting thing, we remove it from our lives. We open the windows to allow the wind to blow in fresh air. Now, do you see where we're talking about holiness? Some of you are like, I will not amen because then you're gonna start preaching like it's the 90s. I promise I won't. But we do have to start where the Lord starts talking about holiness and that's way back in Leviticus. So way back in your Bible, Leviticus chapter 19, the Lord said to Mo, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and one day talk to Uncommon Church and say, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Simple enough. Just be holy like God is holy. End of sermon. Amen. Pass the buckets. Let's go home. Hallelujah. <laughs> and when I was a young preacher, coming up for the church of the 80s and 90s. I was um, enamored with holiness preaching. I was enamored with the shame, shame on you. I was a fire and brimstone young preacher. I had my polyester suit and I combed my hair over and I never had a King James Bible because that was just never my take. But I had, and I would pound my Bible and I would tell people to turn or burn. And I would really, honestly, I'd try to scare the hell out of people. And if you're wondering why I said that with kids in the room, I'm wondering why your kids aren't in kids' church. It's really good. <laughs> when I say scare the hell out of people, I, was, I, I wanted to get all of the sin out of their life. 
I remember Josie's dad, who's a well-known you know, uh, preacher from Sweden. Um, he was here traveling in the United States. He had been invited to speak in a church in Alabama. I was fresh out of Bible school. So I was at the height of my, bless God. And um, <laughs> he said, I feel like the Lord wants you to preach. So he called the pastor, it was a pretty big church, and he said, hey, I feel like my son-in-law is supposed to preach, fresh out of Bible school, full of the Holy Ghost, he's ready to go. The pastor's like, hey, I trust you, whatever you wanna do. So Josie's dad gives up the pulpit for me to preach. I preach my very fieriest, very, scare the hell out of people, very most passionate holiness message ever. And at the end, I, I opened up the, to a time of prayer. If anybody wanted to get right with God, people were practically running to the front, crying, like just crying out to God. And I'm like, you better cry, you sinner. <laughs> I was feeling myself. Because the altars were full, right? So we get back to the green room. Josie's dad comes in, he sits down. He asked the usher who was with us to leave. And I'm like, he's gonna tell me how great I was. He says, um, hey, that was great. That was a powerful message. I'm like, you're darn right it was. I only have one question. Did you love the people to the altar or scare them to the altar? See, the older I get, the more I have such a, a, a compassionate heart, raising three kids and pastoring for all these years. When I minister, I, I'm no longer ministering in that whole fear and shame and scare tactics. I minister from this place where I, I love you so much. And I, I wanna love you to the very presence of the Lord because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I understand that it's not so simple to be holy like God is holy. And here's the problem, and I wanna deal with this right out of the gate. We usually address and we equate holiness with goodness. God doesn't do bad things. God is holy. Therefore, in order for me to be holy, I have to stop doing bad things. So we tie holiness with whether or not we do bad things. Okay, kinda, but there's so much more. Because holiness is not just doing bad. Holiness is identity. Holiness is a royal identity that we have as being sons and daughters of the king of kings. First, let's define the word holy. The Lord introduces the word holy in uh, the Old Testament. So in Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The word is kadosh. In English, you would say K-A-D-O-S-H for those of you that are taking notes. None of you. Good. <laughs> if you teach something worth writing down. The word for holy is kadosh, and it has three basic meanings. First is sacred. Now, that's where we get the goodness part from. But the second is unique, that kadosh, holy, means unique. And the third means separated or set apart. So those are the three foundational meanings of the word holy. And I couldn't come up with a good illustration, a good metaphor for, for what we could think in human terms and worldly terms of what holiness would be. But the Bible Project had a great illustration. They use the word holy and holiness with the metaphor of the sun in our solar system. And I thought that was brilliant because the sun is unique. There is only one like it in our entire solar system. The sun is obviously extremely powerful. If you come near to the sun, you will get burned up and die. 
also, I love the illustration because all living things on the earth receive that life in part because of the sun. And I love that the sun is set apart. It's millions of miles away because if we draw too close to it, everything around it would get burned. But that also means that everything around the sun becomes holy because of how big and radiant the sun is. So the sun is not bad. The sun is extremely good. But it's so good that if we come near to the sun, it will destroy us. Think about God. He is so holy that if we try to come near to God without being holy, we will be destroyed. Not because God is bad, but because God is so good, because he is so powerful, because he is so unique, because he is so set apart. So let's circle back to the term holy and the definition of holy, meaning set apart, separated. When the ancient Jews would read the, the scrolls, the Torah scrolls, and they would come across that word holy, they would have to interpret, and most of the time they were referring to God as not being morally good, but that God was set apart, that God was separated. So God is the one who is separated that separates us unto himself. God is the separated one that separates us unto himself. And even for the ancient Jews, there was a plan to cover sin so that they could draw near. But then ever since the cross, he doesn't cover our sin. He removes our sin so that we can draw near to his holiness. Let's go back to that verse in Leviticus. Instead of holy, let's flip the word holy for separated. You shall be separated because I am separated. So matching God's goodness seems like a stretch. But if we focus on living a life that is separated, that seems like something that we could discipline our lives to work towards. It's less about the goodness or not doing bad things. It's more about living a life that is separated. And then the ultimate move to separate us came at the cross when Jesus, once and for all, separated us from the death, separated us from sin, separated us that we would have our sins removed. That for eternally, we were separated from sin so that we could be separated to him. But this all happened through faith in the blood of Jesus. It did not happen through the rules and regulations that the Lord laid out in Leviticus for the Jewish people. So we are made holy, but we're made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus. So therefore, our conduct, our lives, everything we do, our coming, our going, coming to church, going to work, raising your kids, everything we do is holy because our whole lives are holy. Our whole lives are set apart. So I wanna, I'm trying to change the way we think about holiness. It's less about feeling guilty when we do bad things and more so about living a life that is separated unto the Lord. So go back and think about it. In the Old Testament, God had holiness be an outward job. There were rules that the Jews had to follow very strictly. And if they didn't, the priests, when they would go into the temple, they could die. So there were all of these rules. But then when Jesus came, the cross made holiness not an outward thing. The cross made holiness an inward job. See, J Jesus made holiness an identity not a list of rules. But the problem is the church of the 80s and 90s, we made holiness a list of rules. 
You can't listen to this. You have to listen to that. You can't dress like this. You can't smoke or chew or run with the people that do. You better obey these rules or you're not living holy. Well, that's trying to live up to a standard, but really what we have to remind ourselves is that our lives are separated. Holiness is an inward job, not an outward job. And I tie this more so to parents of teenagers. I've raised three teenagers. Well, now they're all adults, and they all love the Lord. And as I talk to other parents, parents are very concerned raising Christian kids. Well, I'm just worried about what my kids are doing. I'm less concerned about what my kids are doing, and I care more about what my kids are believing and thinking in their hearts. Because in their hearts, do they really know and believe and trust that they live a life that is separated unto God? I don't really care what they do. I care what they believe because their beliefs will mold their actions. Holiness is an inside job. I've heard that said recently. Even just the very concept, our physical bodies are not born again. Our spirit man is what gets born again. So what we do in our physical bodies, yes, it matters, and we'll talk about some of that in the New Testament, but it doesn't matter nearly as much as being holy on the inside. And I want to change gears again. Go back to the Old Testament. I know I keep flipping and flopping, but this is important because everything hinges on the cross. In the Old Testament, compared to the New Testament, there is a radically different way that we approach God. In the Old Testament, God made the tabernacle for the people to come worship, and then later they built a permanent home in Jerusalem, the temple. And God decided that he would allow his holy presence to be on the earth. But it could not be among the people because you can't go to the sun without burning up. You can't be near the presence of God without dropping dead. So he said, I will put my holy presence inside of this little room inside of the tabernacle and then later inside the temple. And they called that room the Holy of Holies. And only the, the priests were allowed to draw near to his holiness. And then only if they did all of these very strict ritualistic things through the entire book of Leviticus to make themselves pure before God. But everything was on the outside. And then in the Old Testament, the very strict rules were how they affected the, if they were to touch blood, it would make them unclean for a certain period of time. If they were to touch somebody that had a skin disease, it would make them, the skin disease would transfer on to the people to make them unclean. If they were to touch a dead body, whether it was a person they were burying or an animal in the road, and when they touched that dead body, the, the, the dead thing, the impure thing, the unclean thing would affect the person that touched it and make them unclean. And then Jesus comes along and changes everything because Jesus was touching people that had leprosy. And the people's leprosy didn't affect Jesus. Jesus affected leprosy. Jesus would touch people that had issues of blood and their uncleanness did not make Jesus unclean. Jesus drove the uncleanness, the sickness, out of those that he touched. Jesus would touch dead people and the death wouldn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus would drive death out of the people he touched. He was a game changer. The holiness of God present in a human body drives out impurity, sickness, and death. Everything hinges on us surrendering our life to Jesus and living full of the holiness of God so that when we are we're around things, it doesn't affect us, but instead we affect the things that we touch. 
Holiness has less to do with doing good or doing bad. Holiness has more to do with living a life that is separated where we transform the environment of every room we walk into. I'm not saying it has nothing to do with our lifestyle and our behavior. Jesus deals with sin. The Apostle Paul, as he writes his letters to the different churches, deals with sin. We'll talk about some of that in a minute. But it's, it's less about what we do on the outside and more about who our identity is on the inside. I've heard it recently said that holiness is an inside job. It's more of an identity and less of a set of rules. The Bible says, that I'll get to it later, but we are, Jesus said, we are to be in this world, but not of this world. This is a big key that we're going to go into for the next few minutes. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus also said that we should be both salt and light wherever we go. Well, right now, all of the salts for DFW in the mid-cities is piled up on one side of the plate right here in this room. And that's fine for two hours of worship and encouraging each other, but the salt needs to be spread all over DFW. It's no good if it stays piled up. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right now, everybody's in this room of light shining their little Jesus flashlight at each other. But a flashlight doesn't do a whole lot of good in a room full of light around by other people that have all the light. The flashlight needs to get out of the darkness. That's what you've been called to do. So holiness doesn't mean we separate ourselves from the world. We run away from the world. Holiness means we jump right into the world and we add salt where they need salt and we add light where they need light. Jesus was literally, oh, now you want to clap? Your clap timing is special. <laughs> Jesus was literally the most holy person that ever lived. He never sinned. But it's recorded that Jesus often ate dinner with tax collectors who were notorious sinners and thieves and liars. Jesus was in his group. He had women with a sinful past. First of all, a rabbi shouldn't even have a bunch of women running around Israel with him. He was breaking that rule. But then to have him a part of his inner circle and women that had a checkered past? Jesus wasn't afraid of sinners, and he's the most holy person. In fact, the Bible even refers to him as a friend of sinners. See, light has to actually get near darkness for light to do its job. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Holiness means we're set apart from the world. Holiness means we transform the world around us. I keep quoting that verse about being in the world and of the world. It's actually taking all of John 17, and maybe that could be some homework for you. I want you to slowly, don't speed read it, John 17, the whole thing. I'll give you two verses, John 17 and verse 15. This is a prayer that Jesus is praying over his disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, this is a prayer that Jesus prays over you. He's asking God his Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I simply ask that you keep them from the evil one. And I want to remind you that they are not of this world in the same way that Jesus is not of the world. This is the heart of God. He wants to transform nations. He wants to transform cities. He wants to transform neighborhoods. He wants to transform each individual home and apartment and bedroom. God wants to transform your life but he, he, this, is, this reveals his heart and his nature. He does it through set-apart ones shining into the darkness. It's not about an outward set of rules. It's about us living set-apart from the world's culture, the world's thinking. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And here's the problem. And this is what I experienced as a young man and what I even attributed, what I even helped. Holiness done wrong 
rejects people. Jesus, his holiness, attracted sinners and brought them to a place of repentance. Holiness is something that we were created for because Jesus perfectly models godly holiness. And sinners came from all over the Middle East to be near him, to hear him, to, to die to their old lives so they could live for him. That's what true holiness does, is it brings people to a place of examining their own hearts, not because of outward things that we do, but because we transform every room we walk into. A sinner was drawn to the holiness that Jesus carried, it, which means there is an emptiness built into the DNA of every man. The worst sinner in the world has an emptiness that can only be filled by the holiness of God. It's what we were created for. You were created for holy living. That doesn't mean you were created to watch certain movies and not work certain movies and listen to certain music and not listen to certain music and do this and don't do that. I'm talking about who you are on the inside. I think God is looking for people to be so holy that it draws sinners around them to be drawn like a moth to the flame. But like there's something about your life. There's something about your marriage. There's something about the way you speak that's different, which means different is different from the world. That's holy living. And I, so if you want to make it super practical, yeah, it means you don't talk like the world. You don't joke like the world. You don't watch the same shows that the world watches. There is a correlation between our, our physical lives. You're not getting drunk with your, your friends from work. You're not getting high with your old high school buddies. You're not sleeping with somebody you're not married to. You're not you know, flipping people off on 183. You're not being a jerk to people. So there is some sort of outward reflection of holy living on the inside, but it's not a list of rules. It's an identity, a royal identity. All right, my last thought on holiness. It's not bad preaching, is it? I should do this for a living. That was so fake and contrived. Now my mom at home, she's like, yes, you're so good. My mom doesn't talk like that. Last thought. There's a connection between holiness and worship. Psalm 96.6. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Worship the Lord. Why? Simply because his holiness is so beautiful. His holiness has such splendor that it fills heaven. And one day it will fill the earth. Not worship him because he gave you a new car. Not worship the Lord because he gave you a promotion at work. Worship the Lord because you felt a warm tickle in your tummy during worship time. Don't, it's not worship the Lord because you got anything from him. It's simply this. Worship the Lord because his holiness is breathtaking. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you truly worshiped God and the beauty of his holiness? Now, I know you got done singing songs a few minutes ago, but I'm asking if you worship the Lord. Now, if you can say, yes, I worshiped him and the beauty of his holiness in worship this morning. Golf clap. When was the last time before that you worshiped the Lord? And if you tell me seven days ago, last Sunday morning, was God's holiness not beautiful in the six days in between? Is the only time you worship on Sunday morning for 35 minutes with Jeff, you need to have Jeff to lead you into the beautiful holiness of God? Uh, what if you were out of town last week? What if you were at grandma's house or at a wedding and there was chicken at home and your house rotting? 
and you skipped church last week. You caught it on the YouTube later in the week. Has it been two weeks since you worshiped the beauty of his holiness? Worship has nothing to do with singing songs in an old strip mall in Euless that's currently looking very industrial, as Lace said last week. <laughs> Worship has more to do with creating an atmosphere around your dining room table, around your couch with your kids, in your car while you're sitting in traffic, in your bedroom as you're winding down at night, that you put on a worship playlist and you worship the beauty of his holiness everywhere you go. I've got news for you. You don't have to feel like worshiping to worship the beauty of his holiness because whether you feel like it or not, his holiness is beautiful. We don't have to wait for them to sing the song that we like to worship the beauty of his holiness. We can just be like, I don't care what you play. I don't care if you play. I've come here and I've prepared my heart to worship God no matter what. I don't need, I don't need it to be done in a minor chord so it sounds holy. I don't need to be in air conditioning. I don't need to be in a cushy chair. I don't need to be in this building. I will worship the beauty of his holiness whether I feel like it or not. Because I'll say this. You can sing worship songs and not worship him. You can take communion and not worship him. You can pull out your phone and, and figure out 10% of your income and you can tithe and give to God and not worship him. We just need to worship him for no other reason but that his holiness is beautiful and breathtaking. This is what you were created for. Read the book of Revelation. What do you think we're gonna be doing in heaven for the rest of our lives? We're just gonna worship the beauty of his holiness. One time, it's, it's been a couple years. <clears throat> I was talking to a guy at the door out there where I shake hands, and I'd seen this guy a few times. I said, hey, man, you know, we're so glad to have you plug into the church. We'd love for you to go through our growth track and really join our church family. By the way, we're doing growth track two and three today. So because of Easter next week, so we're combining two and three right after service. Growth track one, for all you new people, will be on May 1st, first Sunday of the month. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, hey, man, I'd love for you to join growth track. He said, actually, preacher, um, I don't, I don't think I'm going to stick around. I, I really like this church. I, I like the people and the community. I, I love your preaching. I feel like your preaching really connects with me, but um, not a big fan of the singing part. And y'all have a lot of singing. Like it just kind of goes on and on and on. And I'm like, hey, bro, the singing part is what we're going to be doing for eternity. So you better get used to the singing part because it's what we were created for. Worship his holiness. Learn to live in your royal identity of holiness, just like him. Be separated because the Lord is separated. See, we've turned holy living and following Jesus into attending church in a building, and we surrounded our Sunday around putting a pastor on a pedestal and preaching a sermon to us. That is not what being a part of the body of Christ is supposed to be. Because that's why the devil keeps pulling pedestals out from pastors and destroying churches. Church is meant to be a community of believers that, that, that gathers around the presence of Jesus. And we worship his holiness, his beauty, his beautiness. I almost made up a word. 
It wouldn't be the first time. That we, 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 we encourage one another, we strengthen our faith, and then we go out and take his holiness to an unholy world. It's not a church building. It's getting into a group of other people. It's sitting around a couch. It's, we create these moments of worship wherever we are. We are a walking worship team, whether you can sing or play an instrument or not. Put Jesus on a pedestal. He is the victorious one. He is the risen Savior. He's the only one that we can put on a pedestal and worship and adore. Back to Leviticus, and then I'll, I, I said that was the last verse, but this is the last verse, except for the two more that are coming. True story. There's a verse in Leviticus about holiness and then being separated from the world's ways. Leviticus chapter 11. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. Consecrate is like an old-fashioned churchy church word that we don't use anymore. It, it means to be set apart. It means that if you were um, creating, you're a, a goldsmith or a silversmith in Jerusalem in the ancient world, and the priest came by. He said, I need those, um, those gold utensils to go to the temple, and they're going to be in the presence of God. The goldsmith would make sure that the gold in those utensils was extremely pure. He would take the extra time, and then after he creates them, he would take out the few that are needed, and he would say, this is going to be sold, but these are the ones that are set apart, and these are set apart for the Lord. That, that's what it means to be consecrated, to live differently than everything else in the world. So mom and dad, as you're raising your kids, raise your kids and, and, and teach them holiness, which means that they're set apart from the world. They don't watch the same things that the world watches. They're not entertained by witches and witchcraft and darkness and demons. They're not confused over genders. They're not confused over whether or not the Bible is the word of God. Why? Because mom and dad have taught them the truth. They're set apart. They're, they're consecrated. They live differently. Why would we try to lower the bar of holiness? When the world is hanging on the bar of holiness, trying to yank it out from under our hands, we need to set the standard and raise the bar of holiness. It's not how much can I get away with, it's how, how much can I serve him more. Don't, don't try to lower the bar of holiness in your life, try to raise the bar. Not because we have to, not because some pastor is gonna wag his finger at you and try to scare the hell out of you, but because, not because we have to, because we want to. We wanna live holy, we want to identify with our, our Father in His holiness. I've heard it said before that when we sin, it's like an archer who's missing the mark on the target. The target is holiness. And if we sin, we've missed the mark. It's not shame, it's not you're stupid, it's not God's mad at you, it's just aim better. Time out. Well, that was the consecrated things. Time out. Here we go. It's my lane. Some people really struggle with feeling shame, and they put it on themselves. They feel like they're trying to live holy, but they feel unworthy. They feel disqualified. They feel like God's always mad at them. Listen, I remind you that holiness is a gift that God gives us through the blood of Jesus. And don't we love to receive gifts? Holiness doesn't have any room for shame. It doesn't have any room for separation from the love of God. Holiness is taking on the nature of God to live a life that is separated unto the Lord. And if we live unto the Lord, there is love, there is compassion, there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness. Why? Because you're not alone in this world. You have been adopted into his family. He is a loving father and God's not mad at you. 
I, I said I raised three kids and my kids weren't perfect. You know, Josie's their parent, so, you know, half of them. So if they were only mine, you would know. So occasionally my kids would sin. We'd catch them in a lie. They would, they would do something, you know, they disobeyed us. The kids would do something stupid. When my kids sinned against us and they, they did something awful, my love for them was never diminished by one iota. Because a loving father always loves their kids even when they make a mistake, even when they miss the mark. The devil is a liar and an accuser, and he's trying to get you to believe something that is actually a lie, that is untrue, that God's mad at you, and because of your sin, because you got high, because you, you, you gave away your virginity, because you stole that thing from work, because of whatever, that you should be separated from the things of God. Your father loves you, he's crazy about you, he's chasing you down because he loves you so much. Second Timothy, the apostle Paul writes a letter to Tim, and Tim's a young man. As far as we know, Tim was single. Tim was not Jesus. So he struggled, sin, things like that. And Paul's words of advice in 2 Timothy chapter 2 was, Hey, Tim, run from anything that stimulates your youthful lust. Instead, Timothy, I want you to pursue righteous living. Pursue faithfulness. Pursue love. Pursue peace. And look at this one. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Leave that verse up for a minute. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to be like Joseph, who was tempted by Potiphar's wife, but instead he ran out of that house. Now, granted, he lost his job and he got thrown in jail, but he did not end up in sin. It was that important to run away from sin. Don't try to get as close to sin as you can and then you're gonna fall. Run from it. Your holiness is more important than your acceptance with your friends. It's more important than money. It's more important than your pride. But then the more important thing I wanna point out is enjoy the companionship of people with pure hearts. Get involved in a great church. Go through their growth track. Plug in. Join a group of, of discipleship that you can grow strong in your faith. Get plugged in with the companionship of other people that are working out their holiness because it'll help you to stay holy. Hop up on your feet. Now the final verse. Romans chapter six. I know we dealt for the last 30 minutes with our heart. I do want to deal a little bit with the outside. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. Use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of the law, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Oh, we've got grace when we sin. Yes, you do. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can just go on sinning? Of course not, exclamation point. If we miss the mark, we have to repent of our sin and return to holiness. We have to return to our royal identity as sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Yes, we can ask God for forgiveness, but we can't abuse His grace. Because what it does is it cheapens the value placed on the blood of Jesus. 
it can't cheapen the blood of Jesus, but it'll cheapen the value that we place on the blood of Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, there's only two kinds of people in this world, those who are dead to sin and those who are dead in sin. There's a woman recorded, was caught in the sin of adultery. So in the ancient world, if, if somebody was caught in adultery, you could stone them to death. So this woman's about to be stoned to death and Jesus comes upon the scene. I'm sure it was just a coincidence. And um, Jesus stops the stoning and he, in, he tells him, hey, hey, if, if you guys haven't sinned, then you can go ahead and stone this woman for, for her sin. And then all the guys leave, right? And then in John chapter 8, he looks at her, he says, hey lady, just go sin a little bit less. Oh, snap, you guys have the Bible. The words of the Lord Jesus, yes, I will forgive you. Yes, I will make you holy and separate you from the world, but you gotta stop sinning. The last verse, I almost promise. See, Jesus did not agree with her sin, but he also didn't agree with her shame. And he covered her with his love. He covered her with grace. He covered her with, with forgiveness. And he restored her to her identity as a daughter of the Most High God that has a loving Father. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Last verse. If you are a thief, quit stealing. He didn't say, if you're a thief, steal less. There is a line in the sand where we have to stop looking at pornography. We have to stop getting angry. We have to stop sleeping with somebody we're not married to. We have to stop getting drunk. We have to stop getting high. There, there is a point where we remember the illustration of the rotting chicken flesh defiling our house, where we don't sit in our apartment and go, mmm, smells like dead chicken. No, we remove it. And we ask Jesus to remove that sin from our life. And we open the windows of our life and let the Holy Spirit blow in fresh air. Okay, last verse. Hebrews chapter 12. Make a little bitty effort to live in peace with everybody. Oh, sorry. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and make every effort to be holy. Why? Because without holiness, nobody's gonna see the Lord. you're not separated from your sin, you're not going to see the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're living in sin, today is your day to repent of your sin, to die to your old life, and to begin your life of holiness. Why? Because I want you to see the Lord. Now, it might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this. I find that in churchy church, Texas people, a lot of time it's the first time in a long time. They haven't been in church in a minute, but God's doing this work in your heart where he's like calling you back and he's like, Dude, I created you to live holy. And he's bringing you back to this place of holiness. That starts right here, right now. I can't pray it for you. I'd be happy to lead you in that prayer, but the prayer has to come from you. Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I, I open the door to sin. I can't believe I've been doing these things, but I, I wanna live holy. I wanna live separated from the inside out. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Not because I wanna lower the standard of holiness, because I'm gonna raise the standard of holiness in my life. Because I wanna be a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And I live holy and separated because you're holy and separated. So if you wanna pray this prayer, either for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand out real high? Just shoot your hand out and just say, preacher, pray for me. Lead me in that prayer. I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Shoot your hand up. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? 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 Just shoot your hand up real high. 
Okay, I think I got that one. What about you that are at home? There's four or five people that are like, dude, today's my day. I'm gonna repent of sin. I'm gonna live holy from this day on. Right there in your living room, right there in your bedroom, right there in your car. If that's you and your heart's beating out of your chest and you wanna pray and get right with God, just raise your hand. Not because you have to, but because you want to live for the Lord and be holy. Raise your hand right there between you and God. For the sake of you and for the four or five that are in this room, if you believe this in your heart, I want you to pray out loud and say, dear Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm so sorry I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I receive your mercy and grace. Thank you for removing my sin. Thank you for making me holy. I want to live holy like you are holy. I want holiness to be an inside job. I want to honor you. I want to worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Thank you, Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Come on, somebody, for the four or five of you that raised your hand. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. For you at home, I'm so proud of you. Come on, somebody. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.